0: All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us.
1: slash switch.
2: Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531.24. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Slammed a Boston Celtics podcast, where, of course, we cover the Celtics and the rest of the NBA. We have a really special guest today. We got to sit down and talk to Drew Hanlon. He's the CEO of Pure Sweat, an amazing basketball academy. You can find his stuff on virtual training sessions. He has an app. Uh, Definitely Google him and check it out. But we're talking to him today because... He is the long time, and when I say long time, I'm going back to like early teen years basketball skills coach of Jason Tatum, along with Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, several stars across the NBA. So we got to sit and talk to him about where Jason Tatum is in his development, the MVP conversation, whether that is uh, taking place or not, some really interesting tweaks with his mechanics and. Well, championship aspirations. So take a listen and we will hit Take Flight right after that interview.
3: With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
2: We have a very special treat today. We have Drew Hanlon. Uh, he's CEO of Pure Sweat and a basketball skills coach to several NBA stars, including the Celtics' own Jason Tatum. Drew, so happy to talk to you. I had the pleasure of talking with you during the Celtics Sixers series in the playoffs last year. Um, so checking in, we talked a lot at that time about... Jason Tatum's commitment that he made to getting back to the finals uh, in the offseason prior to last season, obviously they came up short. And so I'm wondering, what are you seeing about his focus right now this season compared to where he was at last season in that goal of getting back to that final stage?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the goal and objective hasn't changed. I mean, ever since he, uh, you know, got to that, that NBA Finals, he tasted, you know, what it's, what it's like to be in that in that kind of, uh, you know, big moment. And uh, he wants to finish the job. And so, obviously, the Celtics, uh, you know, improve their roster, uh, improve their chemistry, improve their play, and have been rolling. And, uh, you know, they're, they're clearly right now the best team in the NBA. And so um, they want to just keep that momentum going into the postseason where hopefully they can make a deep run and, and finish the job.
1: Yeah, yeah, Drew. This is uh, is Esteban. Thanks again. Um, one of the things that I'm really fascinated with with Tatum, you know, he's 25, turns 26 on Sunday. Um, for a guy that's this young, he's already done so much with his game. He's already, you know, depending on who you ask, maybe one of the top five guys in the league. How difficult is it just from season to season to actually improve when you're already at that high of a skill level? You know, it's funny because I get asked that stuff all
0: the time, and and my response is always the same the best can always get better. Um, You know, and and for Jason, you know, there was something that was floating around the internet uh, that was true. You know, even this season, you know, we had to make an adjustment uh, around Christmas time on his off the dribble jump shots. You know, off dribble jump shots were just under 30%. Now they're just under 40%, just lowering his pocket and tinkering that. But, uh, you know, Jason's one of those players that's never satisfied. He constantly wants to uh, you know, become a better version of himself. And, um, you know, that, that finals loss, you know, made him improve his ability to get downhill and finish at the rim. And now he's one of the elite finishers at the basket. Um, but that's all hard work, you know, and then not only just basketball wise, but also, you know, you've seen him consistently add, you know, weight and and strength and, um, you know, he works really hard with Nick Sang in the weight room as well, just to improve his body and, and, uh, You know, also being a leader, you know, he could easily, um, you know, go out and and hunt an extra six points a game that would you know put him at the top of the MVP conversation. But instead, uh, you know, he he makes sure that he also sacrifices so that, uh, you know, the team overall is better. So, I mean, I think from a leader standpoint, a player standpoint, a a physical standpoint, a mental standpoint, he's always looking for ways to improve so that, uh, you know, it gives the Celtics the best chance at winning.
2: You mentioned leadership and and your answer before that, the chemistry of this particular roster right now. How do you see Jason, um, I guess, in a different position this year compared to seasons past, with the subtractions and additions that Brad Stevens made with this roster over the offseason. It looks like he's really flourishing with the current roster. And even in the games, like the game the other night, he almost looks like he knows exactly where he can pick his spots, putting up, you know, only having 14 going into the fourth quarter and exploding then. Um, I guess a long roundabout way to ask you, does he seem different on the floor and off the court with his team this year?
0: I just think this team gels really well. I mean, obviously, the starting five unit is uh, one of the better, you know, starting lineups that we've seen in in recent NBA history. And, um, you know, obviously, they haven't accomplished anything yet. It's just a regular season. But um, on paper, uh, when they're all healthy, they're just so hard to – to guard on the offensive end and, and they're able to switch everything um, because of their length and size on the defensive end, which makes them truly dynamic. Um, I think the thing that, uh, you know, when you're asking about Jason, I think that the thing that he's doing really well this year is just picking his spots. You know, he's, he knows that, um, you know, he's trying to get his offense within the flow of the team's offense. Um, but then there's also moments where, you know, it's a, it's a, they haven't had many, but when, it when they're closer games down the stretch, he knows he's got to kind of, uh, put his foot on the gas pedal and take over. So, um, you know, I think that's something that, you know, in the playoffs, obviously it's going to be harder as teams make adjustments and, um, you know, settle into, a you know, a seven-game series. But um, I think that's something that, you know, he's shown from an early age. I mean, you think even back to a couple of years ago, you know, going into Milwaukee and, and scoring, you know, whatever he had, uh, 43, 46, whatever it was, in game six and then winning game seven – Uh, You think about last year, you know, struggling for most of game six and then turning it on and taking over in the fourth quarter and then, you know, putting up 51 in game seven. So he's shown the ability to kind of, uh, you know, really lead and take over games when, when his team needs him the most. But I also think he's done a really good job, um, you know, just playing within the flow of the offense, which I know is hard. I mean, he, like you said earlier, as you said, you know, he's he might be one of the top five players. I think he's definitely one of the top five players. Um, and, you know, I think that he could easily put up some of these uh, ridiculous stat lines that other people are putting up if he wanted to and if the team dynamic was different. But, um, you know, that's part of sacrificing for the, the betterment of the whole team. Drew, you mentioned the
3: visit around Christmas when you guys made an adjustment on Jason shot. What goes into making those kind of adjustments? Is that something that you're watching a lot of film or is that something like, Jason reaches out and he's like, hey, like, you know, can you help me with this problem? Like, what goes into making those kind of adjustments?
0: Yeah, I mean, so the, the real answer is we've been working together I mean, ever since he was a freshman in high school. So we know each other. We talk every day. We do film after every game. Um, you know, this, this, this little uh, shot pocket thing is something that we've dealt with for a long time. He used to shoot way over his head, um, you know, back in grade school. And um, we, we changed his shot. Um, right before he went to Duke and when he went to Duke, um, you know, he had to sit out for a couple of weeks when he had uh, some, some basically some injuries. And when he came back, he resorted back to his old shot. And so uh, there was specifically a game after the North Carolina state game that I had to go down to, uh, to Durham and, and we changed his, you know, changed his shot and tweaked it back to where we wanted it to. And um, he shot really well the rest of the season in college. And then, you know, pre-draft, we were able to get a ton of reps up and, You know he came out and shot 43% his rookie season, which shocked a lot of people. But it was all because of his lower, you know, pocket, which allows you to have more arc, which gives you more room for error on the drop angle. And um, what we see is just, you know, if uh, we don't know why uh, or what, but I mean, it's not just him. There's a lot of NBA players that uh, you end up kind of going back to what was natural and what was comfortable, but. Um, you know, a couple times a year, we just have to make sure that he, uh, you know, does some drill work and and kind of remembers that uh, the lower the pocket, the better
1: for him, um, which is the case in most players. Yeah, Drew, you uh, you obviously you, you've worked with an MVP already, and Joel Embiid. There's been a lot of discussion around the MVP race this year, um, and you know Tatum's role in that is is different because of of the additions that the Celtics have made. But how close would you say that Tatum is? Uh, to uh, that MVP level that that we've seen from other players,
0: yeah, he's right there. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm biased. I mean, but I, <laughs> you know, I thought when Joe when Joel was playing, I thought it would have been a, a landslide that he was going to win it. But with him out, um, you know, I think it really is anyone's race this year. Um, you know, I, I think the you got guys like Shea who are putting up you know consistent thirty point nights every single night and uh, leading a team to. Um, you know, a top seed in the in the Western Conference, which is obviously super impressive. you got Luca, who's putting up unbelievable numbers, but his team isn't winning as much. Um, and then you've got, you know, Jokic and, and Jason, who are both leading, you know, two of the top contenders in the league. Um, you know, I, I don't know why Jason gets punished for having a great team when, you know, guys, other guys have great teams, because it takes right. great teams to win games. And so... um, and I think Jason's in that in that conversation with all four all four of those guys, um, you know, being mentioned. And I think you can go different ways. I think the problem, um, you know, with MVP is uh, they've they've got away from MVP being most valuable like two-way player, and it's become just kind of who has the best stats sometimes. And so, you know, I even threw out on Twitter yesterday, I was like, they need to make an offensive player of the year. You know, they have defensive player of the year, which is recognizing who is the best just defensively. They should have an offensive player of the year, and then they should have an overall MVP, the one that impacts the game the most. Um, And regardless if they say that's Jason or not, you know, it wasn't me just saying that for, you know, my (laughs) client's benefit. It was honestly me just saying, I think they need to, because defense is an important part of the game. And I think that, when you talk about those four names that I just mentioned, you know, Jason's the best defender among those guys, which would, you know, give him leverage in this year's race. But uh, truthfully speaking, you know, we talk about this all the time. I talk about this even with Joel. Um, when you look at some of the NBA greats, you talk about Kobe Bryant, he won one MVP, Shaq won one MVP, KD one MVP. So, um, you know, if you put yourself in the conversation enough, if you impact winning enough, and if you, uh, you know, put together enough good seasons – uh, eventually, you'll you'll get an award. So at some point in his career, so I have no doubt that there's going to be a time that you know we're all in the room listening to uh, Jason give an MVP speech.
2: My ears perked up because you mentioned Kobe there, and I know that that's someone who uh, Jason had a great affinity for and models a lot of his perspective off of. So have you guys ever talked about that, that it took Kobe such a long time in his career? He won these titles very early on, and then he gets the MVP recognition a little bit later, and like you said, in a limited fashion compared to a lot of other stars of that caliber. Have you ever had that conversation with Jason as, you know, these things will come at different times in your career?
0: To be honest with you, we're not just kind of doing the media um, run around and just saying one thing and saying something else behind closed doors. Jason's only focus is winning the championship. Um, you know, the only MVP conversations that we ever have is, you know, A, if, if we're just talking about, hey, eventually you'll win one if you keep putting yourself in the conversation and keep impacting winning the way you are. And B, it might be us joking around where Jason says, man, if I was on a team where I just had to, you know, my usage rate was up and, you know, uh, and had to go gun every night for stats, my stats would look amazing too. You know what I mean? So uh, we never, we never really talk about MVP, the only thing that ever crosses our plate is really just how do we impact winning more? How do we, you know, finish the job that that he's tried to, to finish for the last couple of seasons. So, um you know that's that's the truth you know I think that some people think it might just be one of those all behind closed doors they're they're gunning for it but trust me if Jason was gunning for it he could easily put up 35 a night you know he he really could It, it wouldn't be very hard but um you know his overall goal and his only goal is to he would rather have a finals MVP let's put it that
1: way
2: well I know that's music to a lot of Celtics fans ears I want to switch gears really quick um because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you do, you've do. you grown this company pure sweat. And I, I think at this point, a lot of people know the story of your the beginnings of your relationship with Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal and these other stars in the league, Joelle Embiid. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the what direction you've taken this company in? Uh, just looking at the website, the virtual offerings that you have, the pure basketball experience that you're hosting in Vegas this summer, Who's your target? Is it only for these, like, very high-end uh, high school and developing players who have Division I and NBA goals, or is it a different kind of audience than that?
0: To be honest with you, it's everyone. You know, it, it's funny because there's so many different ways uh, to impact the game of basketball and grow the game of basketball. And so while most fans know me from my work with, you know, the NBA All-Star guys, you know, I truthfully the, the thing that I love most is helping my nieces and nephews and um, you know, it's even funny, like you talk about Jason, you know, there's so many times where we're over here talking about Deuce's development plan, you know, as a as a five year old and six year old, you know, it's so He is I mean, tall. it's just oh, trust me. I I you know, I I get on Jason the other day. He had his first game and he was like, you know, 0 for one from the field and Jason's like, But he had fun I'm like, Nope, we're it's time to turn it up, you know. So it's just To me, it's, you know, I try to cater to as many people as I can. I have, you know, an app that gives basketball fans, coaches, and players behind the scenes access to all the NBA workouts, which, as a fan, it's fun because you get to see all the things we're talking about. You know, there's a whole shot project of, you know, Jason when he's in high school, and you get to watch that stuff and see the process. You're more educated. Um, You know, then there's, you know, experience events where people that want to be scouts, uh, you know, where we bring in a bunch of, NBA executives and teach them how to, you know, kind of move up the ranks in that world. Or if you want to be a basketball trainer, how to do it the right way. Cause the problem is there's so many basketball trainers right now that, um, you know, they're more marketers than they are trainers and developers. And so really I, I want to impact the game at, at, at a more wide scale level. And so for, for fans, I want to give them good educational resources because I think that so many fans are gravitated towards the, you know, goat debate and, you know, the uh, let's put down this player so we can, you know, put this player above them and uh, the discussions instead of, you know, education. And for the players, I want to just, you know, I was a hardworking player that, you know, had to do everything to squeeze every ounce of potential out of my my own game so I could play, you know, college basketball. I, I want to be able to help those players um, as well as the elite players. So for me, it's just all around about growing the game of basketball. Basketball has been amazing to me and, Uh, You know, I want to give back to anybody that that loves
1: basketball like I do. Yeah. Uh, Drew, before you go, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that is a lot lot of people's minds is this idea of specialization Uh, when it comes to when people, when young players should be focusing on on one uh, sports. When do you think uh, that that should come in, in a player's development?
0: You know, I don't think there's a perfect age. You know, I think the the one thing that I recommend is, you know, for letting them fall in love with the game. You know, that's the biggest thing that I've told my my sister who has, you know, the the six and five and all those young kids. I'm like, let's just let them watch as many NBA games as possible. Let's bring them around NBA games. Let's bring them to college and high school games. Let's bring them to camps and clinics. Let them fall in love with the game because if they love the game, then they're going to want to play the game more. They're going to want to practice more. They're going to do all those things. And then once they do have that love and want to spend time on the court, then the second step is actually starting to work smarter where you're, you're actually giving them the right tools and right techniques and right skills and right drills so that they can improve their game. And then that hunger will take them to places where, you know, no one could push them without that love. So I always think that, you know, the first part about them is just bringing them around, talking the game, and, and really get them to fall in love with the game. Um, I think that, you know, being able to play multiple sports not only develops – uh, different aspects and different skills, but it also allows them to to truly pick which sport they love the most mm. um, you know and and I think that whenever they do find a kind of fall in love with one, I think that's uh, the point where they can start focusing on that one while still doing the other ones you know I don't think that they have to specialize at any point. I just think that you know once you get to the thirteen years old fourteen years old, you have to choose what kind of lifting program do you want you know do you want to lift like a football player or do you want to lift like a basketball player? You know, do you want to, um, you know, spend your mornings before school going to the gym and getting up a bunch of shots, or do you want to go to a field and kick soccer balls around? So, you know, I'm a big believer in kind of doing everything. Let them be kids. Um, Let them fall in love with whatever their true passions are, whether that's a sport or whether that's, you know, something in music or whether that's something that has nothing to do with either one of those things. So, um, to me, I believe that, that all great players truly love the thing that they do. They crave improvement. And they they're willing workers. And so um, if you have those three things and you blend them up, I think that's when you have a chance to be uh, really good and, and kind of uh, capitalize on your potential.
2: All right. Drew Hanlon, one of the busiest guys around the NBA, uh, CEO of Pure Sweat. Thank you so much for taking the time for us uh, taking a few minutes out of your day.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Drew.
2: Time for Take Flight. This is the portion of the pod when we look around the league, uh, give our quick hot takes around the league, and Mm -hmm. also just Mm -hmm. focus in on some specifics with the Celtics themselves. So let's start there, because the Celtics currently on a nine-game win streak. I'll start here. How long do you guys think it reasonably can last and what do you read into it, given that they're not the only team in the NBA this year that has reached the heights of a nine-game, a nine-game win streak, game as win impressive three. as that is? Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so I was looking into it last night. The Cavs, Knicks, Clippers, and Magic have all also won nine games in a row. I think they probably break the ceiling. Uh, next five games, Dallas, Golden State, at Cleveland, at Denver, at Phoenix. Um, I could see them winning at least the next two. I mean, any, any you know, it's the NBA. Anybody can be any Yeah, but team.
2: Golden State is always that weird right. big brother situation. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and you know, we, we were talking about this. Um, I guess, you know, it, but I could also see them winning every every game, at least of, of this, this five-game slate that's coming up. So I wouldn't be surprised either way if, if we're talking next week, oh, they, they're they on a 14-game streak or, you know, it, it resets. Yeah. Um, I think at least two, at least two more. Uh, I don't know, sir. How do you feel?
3: I look at that Cleveland-Denver-Phoenix stretch is the one that's really going to test That's rough. But I think, like, Dallas, they should be able to beat. They already took care of them handily earlier in the year. Golden State, like Megan mentioned, is kind of that big brother. That's a team they really struggle with. So this is going to be a test. But I look at that Cleveland-Denver-Phoenix and all on the road in three or four different nights. That's a... That's a tough stretch, and I can see them dropping one of those.
2: To me, I think it just illustrates my concerns with this team are really – and this might sound stupid, whatever. (laughs) Like, they're really not about so much the basketball matchups on the court because the way that this team is constructed – You can match for match most players. Um, Scal was on a radio show yesterday, and I thought that he had really interesting perspective about the kind of team that gives them fits. And it's a team that's physical and a team with a shot blocker. And I also think that if you look at a team like Golden State, sometimes it's a team that they just have this history with. Clearly, they have history with Golden State that seems to be a team that they always circle on the calendar. They have a very weird dynamic with the Heat. It's a rivalry, and it absolutely should not be. And these are the kind of teams, when I look at how talented and how rolling this team is, not that breaking a nine-game win streak, you know, not getting to 10 or 11 is like the end of the world, Hmm. but when you're looking at the overall what's going to trip up this team when anything's at stake, those are the kind of matchups that scare me.
1: Uh, going to Scal's comments, who else on their schedule is physical, has a, has a shot blocker? They've already s- swept the heat, so they're not going to see them anymore. I'll put add a bio in that uh, realm of, of a shot blocker. Uh, who else would you put that, that meets that criteria? I guess maybe Milwaukee I was with Giannis uh, and Brooke Lopez as well? I
2: would wonder about the Knicks just at full strength, Yeah, just yeah, yeah, because yeah. if we're talking about a tough— Team that's going to play you very um, physically on defense yeah. and be pushing you a little bit and making you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe they're not that exact composition that Scal is mm-hmm. talking about. Obviously, Terp, you were there in person like they handled the Knicks. Yes. the whole second half
3: was all, all Boston.
2: Very much didn't make it look like they're, they were even in the conversation. But when these teams are at full strength and it's not the end of February, it may be a different uh, a different look.
3: And I wonder when they play the Knicks. That's the third to last game of the year, April 11th. I wonder how much of the Celtics will see because if they have the eight-and-a-half game lead – on the Eastern Conference right now. Joe Mazzullo doesn't strike me as this coach that would rest his players, though, right? Like, that guy's going to make them play, and he wants them to play. But I wonder if they do kind of look at kind of resting guys down the stretch a little bit more so than they are right now. Obviously, Al Horford and Christoph Porzingis not playing on the second night of back-to-backs or back-to-backs in general. So mm. uh, I'm curious to see what we'll be looking at, like if we'll see another full-strength Nick Celtics matchup in the regular season, just... Given how that game falls in the schedule,
1: yeah. Thinking too about shot blocking and, and just where their schedule is coming up right now, uh, Jokic is—is is he? Does he get enough credit for his defense? I mean, it, would y'all put him in that, that shot blocking, uh, shot blocker realm? It doesn't really seem that's part of his game, as at least not as much uh, advertised.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not Kristaps Porzingis in that conversation or a Bam Adebayo. With Jokic, I look at him more that he's just so physically dominant that it's not so much about one side of the court. He's physically dominant offensively, and I think that that can really grind a team down when you're switching on him and Mm -hmm. trying to find the right matchups. And he's just such a big dude that moves. And at some point, you just go, you know, it's like a, it's like a freight train, really, out there. And so I, again, not the exact kind of matchup that Scal talked about, but a physical presence that can grind you down in yeah. a tough team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think, as a lot of people are thinking, that's that Denver game at Denver. That may be a finals preview. So uh, that I think that was going to be marked my calendar.
2: Let's move on uh, because there was a really, really fascinating interview that Chris Mannix got for Sports Illustrated with Damian Lillard. Fascinating and depressing. I'll put it that way. Like, this really bummed me out for my guy Dame. It is not Dame time in Milwaukee. Uh, The quote that he had here, I'll just read it. And I know Chris Mannix. This caught a lot of traction on social media. Mannix did the thing of read the whole article, like <laughs> read the whole article, because this is the bit that really jumped out, and Celtics fans were feasting on. So Damian Lillard told Chris Mannix, "I thought we were going to be how Boston is right now, but I think what I've learned is that some things take time, especially stuff that has reward in the end. You can't come into it and think that it's just going to be all peaches and cream. We've had our ups and downs. We've had a coaching change. I haven't completely settled into finding who I." am on this team and that's kind of a tough thing so Yikes. what do you guys take away from that obviously Boston is uh, the gold standard in the mm. east and that's coming from somebody who everybody thought would be the direct competitor and he's probably looking over at Drew Holiday on the Celtics it's the Spongebob <laughs> meme of him looking <laughs> out the window at yeah. you know Patrick playing outside
1: right Um it, it's at least like a little bit uh not, not naive he's Damian Lord, he knows but like the Celtics had been building up to this moment for a long, long time, uh, and the Bucks—they—they they had the core, but you're—you're—I guess they sort of wanted to make a, almost like a super team sort of situation where you automatically have a couple superstars, uh, and that doesn't necessarily always work uh, as quickly as people think. So I—I'm I, surprised that he thought like, oh, we were going to have the situation that that Boston has right now. I mean. On paper, it it will look good. Uh, it it looked good um, for a lot of reasons. It hasn't gone the way people would, but yeah, that's 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 tough when when you're one of your main stars is coming out. And be like, man, look at Boston. Wish we could be. We I could thought be like those we guys. were gonna
2: be them. And the context that Mannix wanted to put in there is that apparently he said that like at the end of training camp in the preseason.
1: Yes. It, or yeah. like he
2: was saying that about that point that he was like, oh, I thought we were gonna be the-. whatever. Right. I mean, he clearly. Isn't getting what he thought he signed up for. And if you listen to the details he gives in this interview, I encourage you to read it. It's like depressing. He's talking about how he's basically going on fight hype on YouTube. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) A YouTube channel. Okay. And like just refreshing, refreshing, seeing what's there. I'm not trying to laugh at this guy because I have absolutely been there in that lonely place, but it's like. This is, when you talk about sacrifice, it does seem like he made these sweeping changes in his life, and the basketball is not really filling the void that he hoped it would.
1: Yeah, so where where did you get from it?
3: And I I took away, like, how he talked about Portland, too. Like, I think people sometimes forget, like, you know, the personal, like, side of it. And, like, when he's leaving his family, leaving his kids, and how he viewed, and, like, his family was all around him in Portland, and he said, like, I used to go to my mom's house after shoot-around or whatever, and it's just... It's it's such a hard change, and I like, the way I looked at it though I was like looking back from a Celtics angle like that was the beginning of the a nightmare season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like I know it's hard to say it's been a nightmare season when you're right in the thick of things in the postseason, yeah. but this team wanted to win now. And then you trade Drew Holiday, who gets rerouted back to Boston and creates a juggernaut of one of your biggest competitors. Then you fire your coach 43 games into the season. Like, this season has been a disaster, and it's just left them feeling jealous of Boston. Like, yeah. that just shows how, how good Brad Stevens is at his job to be able to reroute Drew Holiday back yeah. and kind of now they're envying you. It's, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, and, and to your point, too, we, we do often forget, like, these are people. And he right. built a home uh, career. You know, he was mentioning, like, all his friends would be there and he would have friends come over after the games. And yeah, I was, I was kind of shocked that he was just like, yeah, I just go home. I go to practice. I go to the game. I come back. Um, that's a rough life. Like, like and like, you can't just like go and hang out at like a bowling alley or whatever. You're Damian Lillard. You're, you're going right. to get mobbed wherever you go. That's uh, yeah. That the, the we don't I, don't, I don't think we often think about the sacrifices that like these true elite household name superstars have to make to be who they are. And I think this sort of shows shows that. And I, clearly, like, he wants a ring. And, and, he you know, he said it's like, you know, I made the decision. Um, I to sort of live with those consequences. But that's, that's a tough life to live.
2: It also might just be – and look, like, it's not like, you know, he is a multimillionaire yeah. NBA player. But there's a human component to it. It's also very possible that this is just – we're see- talking to him in the midwinter his first midwinter in Milwaukee, <laughs> Wisconsin. Wisconsin and yeah. he's like what have i done?
3: <laughs> have either of you ever been there? Is it really that boring?
2: Like I mean, I've I- been I spent my parents are from the Midwest, so I've spent plenty of time in the Midwest. Yeah. And it's a pretty um, gray place in the winter. Uh, like I, I can would imagine. say it's a different it, we're in a cold weather city and it mm-hmm. can be a struggle when you get to the February early March times here. I think it's a different beast. Out there.
1: I, I've been to Portland's. Portland's very nice. Uh you know, I, I it seems like a, a person like Dame would really love that that sort of place.
3: Especially he, with this family all
1: right. Yeah, he gave he gave up a lot to try to do this and it, it's clearly not going the way he thought it would.
2: Okay, the last one is a fun one. Uh so you threw this in here, Esteban. Yep. The more impressive shot, do you want to line these two up?
1: Yes. So uh February twenty seventh, just a couple days ago, Max Struess made What I think I saw was the second longest ever buzzer beater, game winner in NBA history, uh, Cavs versus Mavericks, comes, I believe, what's the math? Eight years to the day after Steph Curry did the near-half-court shots, uh, Okay, uh, Golden State versus OKC. You remember it was like, Curry, they don't have a timeout. Oh, and you remember, everybody remembers. So
2: I will never forget this, and I'm already yeah. going to say it's the Steph Curry shot, because I remember yeah. I was in a bar on the Upper East Side. It was right after my friend's engagement party in New York, and I yeah. was supposed to. I was her maid of honor, and I was supposed to be kind of like <laughs> being nice and social with everybody. And at one point, I was watching. They had, it was this, they had TVs up. And at one point, I just yelled, "Everybody, shut up!" Because <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good game, you even don't leading up the to that chat. Of yeah, this and everyone was like, "Okay, it's February NBA basketball. Nobody cares about this." <laughs>
1: yeah, I no, I I it was me, my dad, and my little sister Donnie. We were all watching in our living room. My mom was sick, so she was in. The bedroom down the hall and when steph hits the shot uh i fall off the couch um <laughs> like I, i'm sitting on the edge of like literally and i fall off the couch we're all screaming and my poor mother who is like battling a cold is like yelling at us to do the same thing because we're we're, we're freaking sure. out that was I, I think the difference like the Struce thing was crazy and like we said the second longest uh game winner ever in nba history um but that's more of like a Hail Mary and like when Steph did it it was it was controlled like he wasn't like heaving it. It's the difference of, like,
2: you can can the person replicate it or not? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, Steph could replicate that. I feel like
3: everyone was watching that game, too. Like, I I I was at my grandmother's. I remember, I was in, like, middle school when this happened. I remember this, like, clear as day. I was, like, at my grandmother's watching it. Like, my parents went out back in middle school and you had to go get babysat by the grandparents. I was there watching (laughs) the game. And I feel like everyone was watching that game. And like you said, like, the Struce thing was kind of a Hail Mary. Like, this one, he pulled up. He he knew what he was going for and for... uh, the Warriors and Steve Kerr not to use the timeout was incredible,
1: incredible. stuff. Although not to take away from Max Strus, because I think he like I forget the, the stretch he had he in the fourth quarter. He was five 5 from
3: three, yeah, fifteen. And incredible yeah, stuff in like five minutes.
1: Yeah, and I, I I I you know we I we've watched him here with the the Heat, uh, you know have, have do some some real damage against the Celtics in the last couple of years. I don't think that people are giving him enough credit for for how good he is. Uh, like he's he's a legit guy.
3: Oh for sure. Celtic yeah. Legend too. Used to be on the uh, he was on the training camp roster it's at
2: true. one point. Yeah. It's true. All right, guys. Well, that's been a pretty stacked episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, I always enjoy it with you guys. <laughs> so uh, good slate of games coming up, as we discussed. We'll be back with you guys next week and thanks for hanging out with us.